Welcome everyone to another locker room talk of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Well, Joe, I saw some story that I literally couldn't believe um, talking about missed opportunities. And Matt Damon, of course, is a highly successful actor. You know, probably has way more millions of dollars than you and I will ever see in his in our lifetimes. But one thing that Matt Damon doesn't have is approximately $120 million that he would have if he had made a different decision. And Joe, apparently, you know, all kinds of times we'll see actors uh, pass upon opportunities because they're busy with something else that's going on with some kind of uh, pet project they have. Apparently, Matt Damon was offered the lead in Avatar, which, Joe, I don't know what your opinion of that movie is. Uh I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the greatest cinematic feat I've ever seen. Uh, pretty nice special effects, but not the best movie. What do you think about it? So, yeah, I was not a huge fan, but I know, you know, what the ratings speak for themselves. And I know that it, of course, eclipsed the Titanic, which I think is a way better movie. Love the Titanic. It, it eclipsed it, you know, as I think the highest grossing film, maybe, of, I don't know if it's the highest grossing of all time, but it's right up there. I believe it is the highest grossing of all time, unless something has passed it since. I mean, it's possible you have something like Frozen may have passed it. But uh, regardless, I believe that Avatar made something like $1.2 billion at the box office. And the deal that Matt Damon was offered to be the lead uh, star in Avatar was that he would get 10% of the gross receipts of Avatar. Therefore, if they made $1.2 billion over its overhead, then Matt Damon would have gotten $120 million. And so I, all I can say is no matter what you look at in terms of why you think that movie was that good, a lot of people saw it, had some great special effects, and made a whole lot of money. And therefore, I think that Matt Damon, regardless if he was going to be in Goodwill Hunting 2 or something that he thought could maybe win an Oscar, probably should have gone ahead and just signed up and been an avatar. What was that movie he was in like four years ago, Downsizing? Did you ever see that? No, it, that looked like a bad movie. <laughs> I did not see it. You remember the, the premise, like everybody like shrank so they could live like in a smaller community and money was like worth, currency was worth more? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really watch it. I mean, my understanding was only that people shrunk and that they were in like, you know, smaller things, but I didn't really so go that far into it. Yeah, so the idea is so that everything's worth more over time, you know, everything's smaller. And so if Matt Damon had only, you know, bought into Avatar, he never would have had to downsize or worry <laughs> about downsizing. He never had to downsize his career by being in the movie Downsizing? Exactly. That never would have been upsize. Well, it's funny that, I mean, he's been in some pretty good movies, you know, like even lately there were some that were pretty good. I thought that, that movie um, – uh, Mar the Martian. I thought that was a really good movie. That was one that I thought he was he was quite excellent in that he maybe could have won like best actor for. And I've always thought that even in the beginning of his career that he was someone that was a great actor that really just didn't take the best roles. And you look at Goodwill Hunting, and I think that's a fantastic movie. I probably watched that movie twenty plus times. It's so good. And then he didn't really have a lot of roles after that where he gave himself the opportunity to really show that kind of acting depth that he had in that movie. Like I said, I thought the Martian was one that was really good where 
he did that. You look at the Bourne movies, they're pretty good, but I don't think the acting is particularly stellar in it. And I don't really feel like Matt Damon, you know, really ever put himself in the right roles really after the very beginning of his career and a couple of times in the end of it. Point being that if you were going to be in these movies like Dogma and Jay and Silent Bob type movies where, let's just be honest, like, you know, it's not particularly compelling or, or great writing. Why wouldn't you just be an avatar where that's also the case, but people are going to watch and the special effects are amazing. Yeah, that's true. And James Cameron, you know, is always such a stickler for detail, always, you know, puts forth those blockbuster hits. And so it's certainly a missed opportunity for Matt Damon. You know, to your point earlier, though, we've seen a lot of actors and actresses through the years turn down key roles. You know, I mentioned to you before the show, obviously this is a microcosm compared to Avatar, but it's become, you know, quite the classic through the years. Leonardo DiCaprio had, was in consideration to be one of the leads in uh, Hocus Pocus. And so, you know, you, you just see how you kind of rewrite Hollywood history with the roles that are, uh, you know, selected or uh, turned down for these people. Now, Joe, I think that's more of an interesting case study, though, because I'm a huge DiCaprio fan. Um, in my mind, in terms of, like, you know, actors that are under 45 and, and what they've done, I think he's the best actor in the world in, in his age range. I mean, that dude does everything. He does it well. And anytime you watch a movie in it, I mean, you're completely captivated by him because he's just he's, – he's fantastic. And I feel like he should have a lot more best actors than he does. I feel like he – he did something to make some of the people in the Hollywood elite angry for the fact that he hasn't won as many as he should have. Um, and you wonder with, with him, with how, you know, if had he taken that role as the lead uh, boy in Hocus Pocus, could that have changed just a career where maybe he didn't get as many serious roles as he could have and said he was in some more children's roles? Because one thing I've always found fascinating about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is it's not like he became a great actor. He always was one. If you watch the movies where he's young, where he's 18, where he's 20, uh, if you've ever yeah. seen What's Eating Gilbert Grape, where he plays a teenager with Down syndrome, where he's 18 years old, I mean, he's, he's amazing. And when you watch The Basketball Diaries when he's 20 years old and plays a heroin addict that's also a you know a high school superstar and goes into real the real truths of bad drug addiction when he's 20 years old, I mean, he, he is one of the greatest actors I've ever seen. No, he's absolutely phenomenal. You know, through the years, you know, like two decades plus now, he's been doing it, like 25 years. And, you know, you talk about how his career might have changed, you know, if he had gotten that hocus pocus role. I mean, who knows? He probably wouldn't trade with what's happened, obviously, at this point. And did you know that with Titanic, you know, his big moment, a coming out party, that uh, Tom Cruise was actually who they wanted um, at first to be um, Jack on the Titanic? And they just couldn't like it. They couldn't get a deal done with him. And there was also concerns because he was about 30 at the time. And so it would have been a little bit harder for him to pull off. Now, obviously, he looks youthful, but they wanted uh, Leo because he was like 21. Yeah, I mean, that that was – he's the only guy that could have played that role. And, you know, the, the sad thing is I think that's like probably one of his worst movies. I'm not, I'm not a huge Titanic fan, and I just think that, like, that almost limits what he can do when you, when you see what he's done throughout his career. And but by the same token, if you didn't have him in it and Kate Winslet, who, by the way, if you watch her throughout her career, she's an amazing actress. I just watched the show. I just got done watching uh, Kayla and I did on Netflix. 
uh, it was on HBO. It's called The Mayor of Easttown, and it's a murder yeah. mystery show where she plays a, a detective on it. And even in her late forties, early fifties, I mean, she is incredible. And I cannot mm-hmm. believe how good of an actress she was. And she puts up like a Pennsylvania accent as as a British person like a rural Pennsylvania accent and like just kills it. And if you haven't watched that Joe, it might be one you like, cause I know you like the mystery kind of shows. Yeah. No, she's always been versatile as an actress. So that's what I'm saying. I, mean, I think that, you know, they paired two of probably the best actors and actresses of, of that age range together. That's probably why that movie made a billion dollars. Oh yeah, definitely. So that would be one. I would argue that I love Hocus Pocus. I think it's a great movie probably one of my wife's favorite Halloween movies. He might've done the right thing on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think he wouldn't trade it. And I can't even remember the guy's name who played Max and Hocus Pocus, but that was kind of his one hit wonder. Yeah, it was. I mean, none of the kids in that movie. Well, that's not true. I think the little girl in it, uh, Thora Birch ended up doing some stuff. Like when the point the like the little girl in it, but I don't yeah. think that either him or the other teenage girl really did a whole lot after that. Yeah. yeah not, not as much as you would think. Yeah. But uh, I would say Matt Damon definitely made a mistake because, like I said, I mean, I feel like he is not taking the roles that he should have. And I think he's a great actor when he's given the right opportunity. He probably needs a new agent. Probably so. Well, give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and with that being said, Joe, I think you had another uh, missed opportunity, which maybe this could arguably also be one that maybe ended up better for this guy's career. Yes. Remind me real quick what I was – I know it's 10, 20 at night, and I forgot. lost my train of thought. Oh, we were talking about Nick Saban. Oh, yes, yes. So, you know, you think about the what-ifs with sports – and I think the one of the biggest, like, in football history, not just college, professional, too, is what if Nick Saban had signed Drew Brees with the Miami Dolphins in uh, 2006? I mean, if that happens, you probably don't have Nick Saban in Alabama 15 years later, and you obviously don't have Drew Brees with the Saints for 15 years in a Super Bowl and what they did for that franchise in that city. And so you just look at how it altered – the history of three different settings, the Dolphins who are still, you know, trying to, um, you know, become a stable franchise. They think they have some stability now, but we'll see. And then you look at how it positively uh, impacted Alabama and, uh, and, and the Saints. Yeah, Joe. And it's almost like you want to look at my life. Is it better they didn't take them or is it worse? I got to have great seasons with the Saints, but I also had to see Alabama become what it was. Because when I was a kid, Auburn was significantly better than Alabama. And man, that was an enjoy that was an enjoyable time in my life. I was making fun of every Alabama fan. We beat them six years in a row. We'd be like, ha ha ha! You can talk about what you did twenty years ago. I wasn't even alive. I don't care about it. And then now I've lived with almost twenty years of them being where they're at right now. And it's uh, you know, and, but I also got to see twenty years of the Saints being good. You know, or like fifteen years of the Saints being good. When I was a kid, they were the laughing stock in the NFL. And we wore bags on our heads and stuff. So, I don't know. I guess it kind of comes out as a, as a wash on that, you know. I've thought about that, too. And I've also wondered um, two things. One, it feels like it took a while for that story to kind of catch on. 
Like, I feel like a lot of Saints fans kind of, you know, had thought about that parallel, but the national media, for some reason, just never kind of connected those dots until Brees retired. And then the second thing is I don't know how well it would have worked out in Miami for Brees and Saban. Like, obviously, you know, um, Alabama and the Saints don't happen, but, I mean, who knows if it works out as well for both of them because, um, you know, Nick Saban's not Sean Payton, and I don't know if the offense takes off like it does with uh, with Breeze and Saban. It only would have worked if Saban would have hired just, you know, a virtuoso offensive coordinator that he actually allowed to do whatever he wanted to. And you got to remember at that time in his career, Saban was not someone that allowed Sarkeesians and Kiffins to just go out and do what they're going to do. He was very hands-on, and he controlled a lot of things. He didn't like that style of football. So would that have hamstrung Drew Brees or whatever offensive coordinator to the point where they wouldn't have been successful? That also could have very easily happened. Yeah, I mean, he could have easily, you know, fallen to the wayside like a Matt Castle or somebody, you know, that moves teams and just never does anything. Or a Matt Flynn. I mean, you could have seen something like that. So that's, you know, I definitely think it probably turned out better for Saban the way it turned out regardless. And that turned out better for Drew Brees. That was one that benefited both parties, I think. Without a doubt. The only, the only negative effect that may happen is that if, if somehow Urban Meyer is able to win a Super Bowl in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer's first phone call is for him. He's going to call Nick Saban. He's not going to call his wife or his kids or any of that kind of stuff, and he's going to just sit there and laugh at Nick Saban. Ha, 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 I won a Super Bowl and you didn't. I'm a better coach than you. I guarantee you that Urban Meyer does this. I think he hates Nick Saban that much. He's that bothered by him. That that's going to be his first phone call if he ever wins a Super Bowl. His friend to say, "Well, I could win a Super Bowl and you couldn't do it." Well, you know, I mean, that, that's why he's motivated, you know, to be in the NFL is to show that he can be a coach that can do it, you know, on, on both levels. Like what, like a Perry Switzer, like a Jimmy Johnson. You don't see many guys do it in football. And I think the Jaguars. I mean, who knows how much they'll win? But my goodness, they're the most relevant they've ever been now as a franchise. Yeah, I mean, people think about them way more than they ever have before. And I think signing Tebow, regardless of ever plays it down, only adds eyes in the stand, only adds uh, busting stands and eyes on the TV. You know, I think it was a good move. Urban Meyer is definitely savvy in what he's growing there. And I think that Trevor Lawrence is the perfect team for that franchise. I just think he, he fits a Jacksonville mindset. And I'm excited to get to watch him. I'm really excited about it. I'm glad that they're in Jacksonville opposed to, like, it'd be kind of boring if it was like, um, I don't know if they were the, with the Giants or somebody like that. I, I, I kind of like seeing some fresh blood. Shoot, I might even drive over to Jacksonville. I mean, I just went to Amelia Island recently and loved it. I think it'd kind of be uh, – Jacksonville seemed like kind of a cool city. I wouldn't mind taking a trip over there to watch a game just to see it. Yeah, again, it yeah I mean, it really might embrace this team kind of like the Thunder, you know, used to the, – the Oklahoma City fans embrace the Thunder like being the only, you know, pro sports uh, team in that city. I will say this, Joe, I saw people driving around with Jags things on the back of their car, and I've never seen that anywhere before. So apparently at least they're selling merchandise now. That's true. But they have a fan base. All right. Well, speaking of fan base, enjoyed all of our fans listening to the show. Uh, and you can catch us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. And you can catch all of our episodes on Spotify. And now we're getting back in football season. Should we have, let's have some really exciting episodes talking about the college football season. We just had SC Media Days happen. You can catch all of our episodes. Check them out on Spotify. And you can follow us on uh, Facebook, our family Facebook fan page, and like us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Jeff.